Good to see you today. Tuning in to the service and those that are in on location, want to welcome you. And uh, we're going to jump into the word. But I just thought uh, before we did that, I was thinking about our missionaries this week. Uh, just to remind you that we have a couple of missionaries that have been sent from Gateway uh, overseas. One is uh, uh, Alan and Sirton Bay, and they serve in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And uh, uh, Alan asked for prayer specifically because his visa is coming to the end. And he's got to get out of the country to get his visa renewed. But there's no flights that he can get on. And so it's like he's in a little bit of a pickle. So he needs a breakthrough. So if you could remember to pray for Alan and Siraton. And then also for Alicia and Nathaniel, uh, who serve with YWAM. And they're based in Hawaii. And they are, uh, Nathaniel's been facing a health challenge. And they've asked for prayer. And so you can find their pictures and you can find some biography about them on our website. So I encourage you to go there, mygatewaychurch.ca. But let's, why don't we pray for them and we'll just pray before we get into the word. Lord, we just thank you for those that have said yes to you, Jesus. I will go for you. I will represent you. I'll bring the good news of the gospel to those in the world that have not had a chance to hear it. And so we just pray blessing over Alan and Siraton. We pray blessing over Alicia and Nathaniel, Lord. We just speak health and life and breakthrough, Lord. We, we ask for favor for them. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would make a way for them when it seems there's no way. Lord, we pray you'd provide for them uh, all their needs according to your riches and glory. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word brings us life and strength. It brings us hope. It brings us peace, and it brings us joy. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive and active. Thank you that you want to speak to us tonight and today as we're tuning in. Lord, we just open our hearts to you. We just say, Holy Spirit, speak to us, work in us, in Jesus' name. Why don't we just agree and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me, work, work in me, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can say it. Come on. I know you're here. Right on. Okay, so I was, uh, I'm preaching this message called Don't Play It Safe. And I was thinking about uh, in grade six, my teacher was named Mrs. Uh, Peterson, Pedersen. And uh, she had us do, uh, in our social studies class, uh, study the United States. And so we all had to pick different states, which state we were going to study. And then we had to do a presentation in front of the class. So we had to make a poster board and put pictures on it and all that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you, there was some fun about the, you know, putting the map and the state bird and the picture of the governor and all that on there and all the different things about South Carolina was my state. And uh, I, I wrote the, the senator, uh, governor of South Carolina, and he sent me a letter back. It was so cool getting a letter, my own letter in the mail. Huh? Isn't that cool to get a letter in the mail? You get email, that's okay. But when someone sends you a letter, it's nice, it's fun. And uh, uh, I got a letter. And did you know uh, South Carolina has a state snack? Did you know that? State bird, state flag, you know, state stuff like that. State snack. You know what it is? The peanut. It's a peanut. Peanut is the state snack. I was thinking, oh, yeah, you know, peanuts, you know what the the barbecue stuff on them, or the sweet and salty one, you know that one? Oh, 
peanuts are so good, aren't they? Mmm. Kind of wish you had one right now, eh? When you start thinking about it. And then they also had a state insect. Their state insect was a praying mantis. <laughs> praying mantis. I thought, that's cool. You know, little bug that looks like he's praying. Right on. That's pretty cool how God uh, created a little bug that, that uh, was in prayer. Uh, I was thinking, wouldn't it be neat if B.C. had a provincial snack? Huh? Provincial snack. We need a provincial snack. I was thinking, what would our provincial snack be? I came up with one. Anybody want to take a stab at what I thought? A state snack for, or a provincial snack? Beef jerky. Beef jerky. That would be a good one, but that's not what I thought of. Any, any other takers? Huh? Nanaimo bars. That's what I thought of. I was thinking, can you imagine our provincial snack was Nanaimo bars? All chocolatey and gooey, that yellow gooey stuff in there and all that. Mmm. Man, we should have a tray of those here. And, and, and then uh, provincial uh, insect. Mosquito. Yeah, I started saying it. You guys guessed it. Provincial insect mosquito. That's what I was thinking. But anyways, the pers- you know, the presentation, it was kind of fun, you know, making the thing and all that. But it came to be the time when the, the students had to uh, present. And so it started alphabetical order, you know. It started with, with uh, Alabama, then Alaska, and it was going along, California, Colorado. And every time social studies class came along, I was calculating how many presentations were happening and when it was going to be my turn. I was freaked out of having to get up and talk in front of people. That was the worst thing that I could ever, and I think probably most of you watching even are saying, that is the worst thing. It's getting up and talking in front of people. I was wondering when it was going to be my turn to humiliate myself, and I was trying to get out of it anything I could think of. I told my mom a couple times, you know, I had the flu. I had, you know, I wasn't feeling I was going to barf. My tummy was upset. And I talked to her into letting me stay home a couple of times. And then I, I told my teacher a couple of times that I forgot my assignment at home. So I didn't have to do it. And then uh, one time I even told her my throat was so sore I could, I can hardly talk. You know, like that. And so I got out of it. I was just so shy. I was so shy to stand up and talk. And, and I lacked confidence in myself. My self-worth was just really small. And uh, I remember my teacher even made me go have a talk with the principal because she was so flabbergasted, you know, of what to do with me. Just didn't know what to do with this guy. How am I going to get this guy to do his assignment, his presentation? And, you know, I lived for many years convinced that the worst thing in the world would be to stand up and talk in front of people. Many, many years. You know, I decided to be hap- that to be happy, I had to play it safe. Have you ever made a decision like that? I'll never do that again. I'll never get in a situation like that. I'll never let that happen again. I need to play it safe in order to be happy. And I did that. So what didn't change about me? Well, I didn't suddenly become confident in who I was. It wasn't like a switch went off and suddenly I became confident and able to stand up in front of people. And I didn't somehow lose my fear of people. 
I still have a fear of people. I struggle with these. I struggle with confidence. I struggle with fear. What changed in me was something that also happened to the apostle or disciple Peter, who was a follower of Jesus. Now, Peter was like a lot of us guys. If you're a guy here, if you're a guy watching, Peter was like a lot of us. When we're with our friends, we're tough and we're full of talk. You know, we'll, we'll ham it up. We'll, we'll, we'll be like, oh, yeah, well, I can one-up that and we can brag about how awesome we are and what we did and what we said and all kinds of stuff. We exaggerate our confidence. We stretch stories of what we've done, what we can do or what we will do. And, uh, and for all the wives that are here, uh, we, they know how this works. When we're alone with them, we're very macho. But when we get into public, we often become very timid and quiet. We change. Or when we're healthy, we feel like we can conquer anything. But when we're sick, you wives know what we say. Huh? Poor, you poor guy. <laughs> you know, I remember one time, my sister-in-law, uh, who's my wife's uh, younger sister, she's four foot seven. So she, you, you've uh, met my wife Carla. You know my wife Carla's five foot. Her sister's even smaller than her, four foot seven. And she and I and my wife and some of her other family, we're at the water park. And she said she was going to ride the water slide called the Drop of Doom. The drop of doom was 13 stories straight down into a major wedgie-forming pool. And, uh, and I watched a few people come down, and when they stood up, you know, they had to pull their swimsuits out of their backsides. And, and I said to her, oh, I could do that. And she said, okay, let's go. And so we started to climb the hill, and we started to climb the stairs up to the platform. And as we got higher and higher, I realized how high 13 stories is. It's a long way when you just got a little railing, you know, and you can look through the stairs and stuff. And it's like, whoa, this is crazy. What am I doing? Right? Has anybody ever gone on the drop of doom? You've gone up. He's like, did you ever, did you start to feel, what am I doing? Huh? You didn't feel like that. That's how I felt. And my sister-in-law, she didn't say anything. She just was up the stairs. And I was like, oh, no. I was, like, so freaked out. I would have gladly taken the walk of shame back down the stairs. You know, not down the slide, down the stairs. I would have gladly done it, except for she was with me. And she was going. And there was no way I could get out of it. Inside me, I was freaked out and I was afraid but I had to pretend I was somebody I wasn't. And I reminded myself of the decision I had made that I had decided to be happy I needed to play it safe. You know, playing it safe will steal your joy. It's just what happens. It, it's there to steal your joy. Jesus knew this about Peter. And Peter and Jesus... They had a close relationship, and Jesus also has a relationship with many of you, and he knows this about you and I. 
Peter tried to hide it from Jesus. He tried to pretend that he was stronger and tougher and more macho than he really was, more righteous than he really was. You know, Jesus said to Peter and his friends in Matthew 26, 31, he said, all of you will be ashamed of me and leave me tonight. So Jesus said to Peter, well, that's an encouraging thing to say, Jesus, you know. He said, you're going you're gonna, to uh, leave me tonight. You're going to be ashamed of me and leave me. And listen to what Peter says in response to Jesus. I think we got these slides up there, don't we, Kevin? Matthew 26, 33 says, Even if all men give up and turn away because of you. Next slide. Because of you, I will never. Or I never will. That's what Peter said. I ain't going to leave you. Everybody else might leave you, but I won't leave you. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen that I'm going to leave. It's never going to happen. You know, as we know, Peter went on to publicly deny and turn his back on Jesus that very night. Saying that he didn't even know who Jesus was. Look, look what it says in Matthew 26, 72. This is what Peter said. I don't even know the man. He wouldn't even say his name. I don't even know the man. And he said it loud enough so everybody in the courtyard could hear. Whoa, he went from being tough, and pretending he was tough, to being scared and giving in to his fear. Playing it safe stole Peter's joy. You don't have to imagine what it's like to turn your back on a friend. How awful you would feel in your heart after and we know that that's how Peter felt. He was disappointed in himself. He was ashamed of himself. You know, there's two realities of failure in this story. Number one, we have all experienced failure. We've all experienced it. Failure isn't something that just I've experienced or, or one of you have experienced. We've all in this room experienced it. We've all watching uh, online. We've all experienced failure. We've all failed someone. We've all let someone down. We've all given our word to someone. We all made a promise. We all uh, thought we were going to do something for someone, and we let them down. And then, on top of that, we let ourselves down. We said to ourselves we were going to do things. We're going to save money. We're going to pay off our credit card. We're going to lose weight. We're going to stop swearing. We were going to go to church every Sunday, whatever it was. And then we let ourselves down. How many times have we said we would would pray for somebody? We would we would keep praying for them and then when they left we turned around we forgot all about them. We didn't even think of praying for them. We've all experienced failure. The other reality that we experience or see in this story of failure is that Jesus redeems our failures. Jesus could have just thrown up his hands and thought, I've worked with this guy for three years, and he still doesn't get it. What do I got to do? You know, I've poured out my heart for him. I've poured out my life for him, and he still is making these crazy mistakes. 
just turns his back on me when I need him the most. How many times have I got to be patient with you, Peter, and put up with your weaknesses and your failures? <laughs> Can you imagine Jesus talking like that? Probably might have felt like that. The lesson we learn from Jesus, though, in this story is that he doesn't give up on Peter, and he doesn't give up on you and I, despite the fact we've all faced failures. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't say, look at the list of your failures. He doesn't say, there's no hope for you. But he actually turns the situation of our failure on its head. He turns it upside down. And instead of using our failure against us and pointing his finger at us, Jesus uses our failures as an invitation to draw us closer to him. It becomes a point where we realize our need for Jesus. And that's what Jesus uses it for. We think our failure puts us in last place to receive God's grace. But your failure moves you to the front of the line to receive God's grace. That's what failure does, right? We become all ashamed of our failure. And Jesus is like saying, that's awesome that you failed because that's going to cause you to come closer to me. You know, the thing we think that will please God is our strength and our self-sufficiency. How good we are and how, how nice we look or whatever. But... It, that's, those are the things that actually get in the way of us pleasing God. When we follow all the rules, when we say all the right things, when we pray the best prayers exactly in the right way. You know, if these are all done in our own strength, they actually probably aren't helping us at all. They're taking us nowhere. Our great achievements don't help us. Oftentimes. Our failures and our weaknesses, though, open the door for God's mercy and his grace to work in our lives. Saw it this week in my office. Someone sitting on my couch and calling out for the mercy and grace of God in their lives. It was so beautiful. It was the most beautiful thing. He could have just pretended he was okay and he was just strong enough to do life on his own. But inside, he knew he wasn't. And he poured out his heart to God and he said, I need your mercy and your grace. And you know what? It became an invitation to move him right to the front of the line to receive God's grace. Because that's the way Jesus is. This is precisely why Jesus said in Matthew 21... Uh, in verse 31, he said, I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors, that's like people that stole from you, and prostitutes, people that were immoral, will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Whoa, that's a crazy thing to say. Have you read what Jesus said? Think about that. It's not that God, he doesn't wink at our sin. But failure makes us desperate for him. It was those people that failed the worst, that realized they needed God the most. People that were acting all self-sufficient and strong and pretending they were someone they weren't. 
weren't the people that God said were going to find the kingdom of God easily. Now back to my story, my South Carolina story. If I'm so scared to be in front of people, how did I end up here? Huh? You might have thought that. Well, you're a, you're a fraidy cat of, st- of public speaking. How did you get a job as a pastor? Because that's what pastors do. They stand up in front of people. Well, something happened in my life that I had not realized. I had changed. I had changed. My fear was still there. My intimidation was still there. But something shifted in my heart. I was in my first year of Bible college. And about halfway through the year, you know, I was one of the young guys. You know, those older college students. There was, there was professors and pastors and other important people there. And they asked if I would lead a worship service. We'd have like a chapel service in the morning. They asked if I would lead the worship. And I went, wow, I love to worship. Okay, I'll try it. It was a moment of insanity. And that day, as I stood in the front of the people that were there, I realized I actually liked to lead people towards Jesus. That's what I liked. I liked people to find Jesus. I liked them to encounter the God that I encountered. I liked people to find forgiveness. I liked people to find hope. I liked people to find healing and strength and encouragement and the ability to press on and persevere and go one more day and keep their eyes focused on heaven. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're discouraged. And I want to just to tell you, you know, don't give up. Don't give up. You might have failed. You might have a weakness in your life. But Jesus is not pushing you back. He's inviting you to the front of the line. All you need to do is admit it to him that how much you need him. And I realized as I was leading people how much I love to lead people towards Jesus. And people were responding and entering into worship and expressing their hearts toward God. See, what had happened is my audience It actually shrunk. Of the hundreds of people that were in that room, it really shrunk until it was only one person. And it wasn't an audience of students and professors and pastors and all these people judging me on how good I was doing. It was Jesus standing there. And I was honoring him. And I was living my life for him. And that's how he wants you to live your life. Live your life for him. Live sold out for him. It's because I'm weak that God can work in me. It's because you're weak that God can work in you. Not because of your strength, but because you're depending on him. What happened to me, what brought about the change in me uh, to say I'd never get up in front of people is, well, it is a reason I'm not doing it for you. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to please you. I'm doing this for Jesus. And I'm inviting you to encounter the same Jesus that I know today in your life. He knows my weaknesses, and I'm going to give them all to him. What does he do with our weaknesses? Jesus trades our failures, and he redeems them by his grace to fill us with great joy. You know, I thought playing it safe would keep me safe when all along, It was only stealing my joy. 
I wasn't doing the thing that Jesus had created me to do. And it's depending on Jesus more and more that I'm able to live a life of joy. That's the same for you as you depend on him, as you open your life to him. Uh, Is it going to be scary? Of course it's going to be scary. It's going to be scary. There's going to be scary moments. You're not going to know what to do. You know, you're going to give in to your fears at times. But God's grace is worth the risk. God wants to empower you with his presence. He wants to help you to overcome. He wants to see you experience his power. Now, I want to just close today. I got about five minutes. Okay, so we, we uh, have a problem. And that is that most of us don't recognize we have any needs. In fact, if I was to ask you tonight, uh, is there anyone here that has a personal prayer request that I could pray for you for right now? Uh, probably most of you are just like, oh, uh, I hope he doesn't ask me to say anything in front of everybody because I don't know what to say, right? Because we don't even really think about our needs. We don't even think we need anything because we've taught and trained ourselves to be self-sufficient and and to say we're strong and we've all together got it all together. But it, what it does is robs us of God's grace when we don't realize how much we need him. It's when we realize how much we need him that we experience his grace. So how do we end this drought of grace that we have in our lives? I've got three points. I'm going to go through them really quickly. Number one, we need to stop fooling ourselves. You know, Peter was in a place of safety and he told Jesus, I'm never going to let you down. I'm with my friends. I'm going to be all tough, and I'm going to, you you can trust me. I'm never going to fail you, Jesus. I don't care what you say. I'm not going to let it happen. And that's how many of us are. We live safe lives. We live small lives. We are protected, and we just stay in safe areas and safe zones, and we don't get out there and risk very much. We live for ourselves pretty much. Jesus didn't ask you to live that way. He didn't ask you to live a safe life. He didn't ask you to live a small life. He didn't ask you to live for yourself. He, in fact, asked you to follow him. And Jesus showed us very clearly that he lived his life as in risking his faith. Not uh, once in the Bible do we ever read that Jesus was looking out for himself. That he cared only about himself. That he was trying to do less things so he wasn't so stressed out. In fact, Jesus lived for others and he prayed that he could do everything his father had sent him to do. I want to do everything you got for me to do. I want to live a bigger life. I want to be able to do more things for you, God. And Jesus risked his reputation. He stood up for people no one else was standing up for. You know, he stood up for women when no one else was standing up for women. He stood up for children and said, I am going to value these children. No one else will do it. I will do it. And he risked his own reputation to do it. Women and children. He stood up for the most vulnerable people that he knew, that he saw. You know, there's an organization called waiting to belong in Canada, represents 30,000 children who are waiting to be adopted in Canada. 
He's like saying, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what to risk. There's 30,000 children in Canada that deserve to be loved. They deserve a family. They deserve to know someone that cares for them. Not just for a day, not just for a week, not just for a month, but says, I will stand by you every day I have breath. I will never turn my back on you. That's what a parent does to their children. If you go to their website, waitingtobelong.ca, you'll see the story of Benjamin, who was adopted, and he said this statement. He's 11 years old. Everyone deserves to have a family. I don't think there's one of us that would say, that's not true. And neither would Jesus. He stood up for kids like that. How are we going to end the drought of grace? We need to stop fooling ourselves that living safe is what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus wants us to risk. Don't make an excuse. (laughs) I can just hear. I made those excuses when I was listening. Myself. Why I couldn't do that? Why that would never work for me? Number two. How are we going to end the drought of grace? We need to stop pretending. Peter pretended he was strong. He even put on an act for Jesus like we do. For some strange reason, we've settled for pretending over a real experience with God's grace. We put on an act that we don't have struggles and we don't have weakness. I was talking about this earlier. We've, we, we're above problems and we pretend with each other that we're pretty much perfect. And people will say, how was your day? Oh, good. And how are you doing? I'm, I'm good, you know. And inside, we're not good. And we have struggles. And we have weaknesses. But we have never shared them with each other. Pretending is a way that we think we're dealing with our weaknesses. And we deceive others, we think. And, and we think we're deceiving ourselves when really uh, we're not. We're, we're just living outside of God's grace. We're living in our own strength and not experiencing His strength. When we actually admit our weakness, when we actually say we need God's help, we need someone else's help, we need someone to pray for us, walk with us through a challenge in our lives to to encourage us, whatever. We don't know what to do anymore. Uh, If you got a friend that you can say, I don't know what to do. I'm feeling awful about this. And they say, I don't know either what to do, but I'll pray with you, and they love you, and they walk with you. And all of a sudden, it becomes a place where you can encounter the grace of God. You know, one of the things that traps us is secret sin. Secret sin, the Bible says, is like a snare. The Bible says it entangles us. So like it says, when you're running, don't get entangled, it says. It says, don't get in a trap. Don't fall in a trap. Don't get stuck in a mouse trap or a uh, beaver trap or whatever. You're in a cage or whatever. And you, you're in there and you can't get out. That's what a trap is. That's what being ensnared is. You can't get out. You need someone to come and help you out. That's what being ensnared in sin. You've got secret sin in your life. You think, I'll just deal with it myself. No, you won't. 
It's trapped you. And what you need is someone that you can ask, would you help me out of this trap that I'm in? That's the lie the devil tells us. Don't tell anyone. Don't say anything. If someone not finds out, no one will like you. You'll get pushed to the back of the line of God's grace. But the truth of the matter is it will move you to the front of the line of God's grace. And the people around you, if they love the Lord, will help you. They'll walk with you. Number three. Man, I've gone over time. I apologize. But I'm going to finish this last point because it's an important one. We open our eyes to the hardships of others. If we want to end the drought of grace, we, we uh, need to open our eyes to the hardships of others. Number one, we need to stop fooling ourselves. Number two, we need to stop pretending. Number three, we need to open our eyes to the hardships of others. Just because we ignore the hardships of others doesn't make the hardships of others less real, right? We can overlook people's hardships and pretend they're not going through hardships, but they are going through hardships, right? Just because you don't have the hardships in your life doesn't mean they don't have them in their life, right? So sometimes there can be a little bit of a challenge to understand. If you don't have any hardship, if everything is going good and you got a house and a car and a beautiful wife and nice kids and your lawn is all perfectly green with no dandelions and you just look out and think, man, my life is so nice. I don't have any hardships. That doesn't mean other people don't have hardships. Other people are facing hardships. We need to open our eyes to the hardships of others. You know, many people are held back by the systems in our world. Systems in all kinds of things. Even the systems in the church. People can be held back. They can feel like, how do I become part of this church? How do I become part of the family? How do I get to be, know some friends and not feel like everybody else knows everybody, but I'm kind of on the outside? I, you know, it sort of seems like there's like kind of a group that knows everything. And I don't feel like I'm in it. Right? Systems, whether you plan them or not, they can be there. Attitudes can be there. You know, right now in our world, there's a spotlight on racism. You know, I reacted when I started hearing about that. Because when you hear about racism in the world... It means that you're a part of it. Because either you're allowing it to happen or you're, you're part of making it happen. It's like you're a racist. And so right away I was like, nah, there's no race. There's no racist problem. There's no race hardships. But the reality is, is I don't usually face race Challenges. I have had them. I've had people tell me to go back to Europe and places like that. And it doesn't really do that much to me. But other people have faced real hardship. You know, where they've been overlooked for a job. Or where they've been, been called names. Or worse. And we've seen it in our world. And you know, after Jesus went to heaven, Peter was in prayer... And Jesus showed in a vision as Peter was in prayer. And he said, Peter, you have your eyes closed to the hardship of people who are around you. 
uh, he said, you have uh, been part of causing hardship for people who are not Jews. And at first he said to the Lord, I don't even want to eat the same food as people that aren't Jews. I don't want to be around people. Like that. You can read about it in Acts 10 and 11. And so while in prayer, Jesus showed Peter three times the same challenge. That there's something going on, Peter. You're not seeing the hardship that people that aren't like you are facing. He showed them three times. He said, I want everyone to have equal access to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Even after God showed him three times, Peter wondered, what was God getting at? Let's look at Acts 10, 17. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? I don't get it. He showed him three times. You're causing hardship. I don't see it. Right? So this can happen. We are not experiencing the hardship. There's other people that are experiencing the hardship. We don't see the hardship. It doesn't mean it's not there. It is there. And Peter didn't see it. See, God was asking Peter to open his eyes to the way he thought about other races of people. And he still didn't get it. You know, I wonder, could God be showing you and I something? Could he be asking us to see the hardship of others? Could he be showing the church something? Could he be asking us to open our eyes in our day, in our time? I'm not asking you if you see discrimination in the world. Discrimination is around us, all around us. And it will be as long as sin is in this world. That's what will be in this world. Sin will cause us to be discriminatory. And I'm not saying we have an excuse to do it. I'm just saying it's going to be a problem that we face. I'm asking you if you would ask God to open your eyes to the hardships of others. Would you just, would you just take a moment right now Just say, God, would you show me the hardships of others? I don't want to overlook them. I want to be, I want to walk in your grace. And then as he shows you, and he might not have showed you right this minute, but I'm going to ask that he does show you, would you take a risk on someone else's behalf? Would you risk for someone else? Would you stand up for someone else? Would you use your voice for someone else? Maybe someone who has no voice or has very small voice to change their own circumstances or future or whatever. Would you be the one that would stand up for them? Playing it safe will steal your joy. Let's just close with this last verse. John 1.16 says, From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing one after another. That's what Jesus has for us. Does he run out of grace? No. The Bible says he's got one gracious blessing. One after another. Let's stand up. We're going to close with a prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for just uh, being patient with me today. Thank you, God. Thank you that you're speaking to us, Lord. Thank you that you're opening our heart to our need for your grace. It's not easy to be pointed out to say how much we need your grace. It's not easy. And so I just thank you for your graciousness that's on your people right now. 
how people are opening their hearts to you and saying, man, I need God's grace. Man, I would like to be moved to the front of the line. I would like to encounter the goodness of God. I would like to encounter the strength of God. I would like to overcome failure. I would like to overcome uh, hardship. I would like to, to help somebody that, that is facing difficulty in their lives. Maybe I would like to step out and be a voice for a child that has no family, maybe. Man, wouldn't it be cool to see a child loved, <laughs> secure? Oh, wouldn't that be cool? Lord, work in our hearts. Don't let us play it safe anymore, oh God. I pray that you would move us into joy as we take risks for you, oh God. Oh God, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're at work. Maybe you're watching today. You're here today. I don't know. And you've never opened your heart to Jesus. Man, we just want to give you a chance. You know, Jesus came that you could have life and life more abundantly. If you're living a small life, that's not his desire for you. He wants to increase in you. He wants to set you free from the trap you're in, locked in. You feel robbed. You feel broken. He wants to bring healing into your life. All you need to do is reach out to him and call on his name. The Bible says if everyone who calls on his name would be saved. So I just invite you, just call on his name. Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you in my life, Jesus. Would you forgive me? Would you redeem my life? Would you forgive me? Would you would you heal me? Would you accept me? Would you would you uh, take this weakness that I'm struggling with and turn it into a strength in my life that you can use? Jesus' name. Lord, I just invite you into my life. I ask you and lead me that I can follow you in every way in Jesus' name. And Lord, for those that want to move into a greater level of grace, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. Lord, I just pray that you'd be at work. You'd be at work. People that are challenged, we're going to go look up the website uh, today. When they get home, they're going to go look up waitingtobelong.ca and start seeing, oh, man, could it be that you're speaking to me, God? Maybe you got a friend that's going through some discrimination and no one's standing up for them, and you're going to just say, you know what? I'm going to stand up for that person. I'm going to do whatever it can take. I'm going to make a way for them. Uh, I'm going to stop pretending. Holy Spirit, work in us. Work in us, God. Our hearts are soft to you, God. We need you, God. We need your grace, God. We want to make a difference, God. We want to be people that make a difference for you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We're just opening our hearts, Holy Spirit, to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. God bless you.